You're listening to the Audacious Leadership Podcast. This interview was recorded by Senior Pastor Glenn Barrett during the coronavirus lockdown of 2020. For any more information about us, head to our website, audaciouschurch.com. Tonight, gathered by two amazing guests. So honored to have my really great friends with me, Pastor Roy Todd and also Pastor Mishek Mahana from Southampton. Mishek is from Southampton. Roy is from the Leicester area. Guys, want to welcome you tonight. Good to have you with us. Good to thanks. be here, Glenn. Roy, Thank thanks so much for joining us. Mishek, thanks for coming online. Really appreciate it. And uh, guys, in, in terms of context, uh, one, of the, one of the things that we'll be doing is, is wanting to give people a real good understanding of who you are and, uh, and, and what your background is. So, uh, Mishek, let's just jump on to you for a moment. Tell us a little bit about family background, where you were born, where you were raised, uh, that sort of thing. Great. Thanks again, Glenn. Thank you for having us on board. Um, yeah, so, so I was originally born in Zimbabwe. And um, uh, from an age of around 15, I was um, forcibly removed from Zimbabwe by my parents and brought us to, to England. Uh, as a family, we just relocated to, to England. Um, and ever since then, we've just really made home here. And uh, we've had to navigate all the different issues that we needed to navigate through for all the years that we've been here. But um, yeah, so that's kind of where we are now as a family, a second generation uh, minister. My dad, my parents are ministers, uh, now retired, but um, I guess I am I'm continuing with that mandate at the moment. Uh, and I, maybe I might uh, pass it on to my, to my son one day and my daughters, you never know. So Misha, I think the first time I met you was, was only two years ago. It feels like I've known you for 20 years. Now, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, mate. That's a but, bad but, thing. <laughs> but it was at a, at a festival and um, you were with your wife, your baby was in the pram and you're pushing across a parking lot. And we just sort of ran into each other in the parking lot at a festival, festival down south. And um, you introduced yourself to me and it's been so exciting to really hear uh, the journey that you're on. And obviously the amazing church that you're leading right now in Southampton. For all the viewers, tell us a little bit about the church. Um, how old is the church? What's the name of the church? So the name of the church is Riverside Family Church, um, obviously here in Southampton. Um, so the kind of makeup, the, the history of a church is, is longstanding. I mean, you've got other great leaders who, uh, who led that church for many, many, many years. Um, and we have now come in and it's just, I think during our tenure, it's taken a slightly different um, uh, framework, if you like. It's more multicultural now. Um, and I think that's just part of the journey that God has brought us here to, to, to reflect in that, uh, in that church and, and in the part of the city that it's, it's, it's located. So yeah, um, so that's, where, that's what we're doing at the moment and enjoying it so far. That's brilliant, mate. And we were laughing yesterday, weren't you? Because you, you were telling me that I should move down south because the weather's better down there. But, you know, uh, anyway, we'll see. Roy, good to have you with us. Roy as well. Roy married, one baby. And uh, Roy, I think I first met you 23 or 24 years ago. I'm thinking back when we were young men, you were in Barnsley. I was in Sheffield. You became the regional evangelist. For the East Pennine region, is that That's correct? Right. Um, uh, was going to study music and pursue music as a career. That was the plan. Uh, they tried to teach me classical music, but I was a rebel, so I did jazz. 
which basically means uh, ill-disciplined and doing whatever you want. That's the kind of student that I was. Um, and, and my dad was happy because my grandfather was a pastor and then my father resisted the ministry and was kind of pleased that I wasn't going to go into the ministry because he saw what my old grandfather went through. <clears throat> and then the next thing I felt a call to go and study theology at Mattersey. And, uh, and I felt called into the ministry. And I remember, you know, when I made this decision, my father got on his knees and begged me not to do it. Uh, wise man, he was probably right as well, but I, I did it and uh, studied at Mattersea. And then that's, so we would have met when I kind of launched out in ministry. I think we kind of arrived in England roughly at the same time. And, uh, and I have been here ever since. Awesome, awesome. Great, mate. And listen, for everybody who's just kind of joining us right now, Pastor Roy, Pastor Meshach, um, before we started this interview, prior to this interview, things got out of control very quickly <laughs> with way too much laughter. So we're going to do our best to contain ourselves. Uh, Meshach, let's come to you for a second. Tell us one thing about you that you think everybody needs to know about you, something that you've done or something about your personality that says, if you, you're going to get to know me, here's what you need to know. Oh, that's a, that's a big question. Um, <clears throat> so I, I have a secret compartment in my stomach where I can eat a whole lot of food, but don't actually put on a whole lot of weight. Um, so my parents and everyone around me who knows me are absolutely frustrated. So everyone has been on a quest of trying to fatten me up and they've just failed uh, for many, many years. So um, I love my food. And you can try and feed me as much as you want, but I will not get any bigger than this. Oh, and hey, by the Misha, way, now, would you would you mind praying for me to get that gift? Uh, because I I do this thing. I just think about a Mars bar, and I put on three pounds. So. <laughs> Brilliant. And and I think your 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 various backgrounds in terms of yeah, Roy, you're pioneering a church, therefore fully responsible for your culture. The culture of your church is what you have have created. It's a representation of you and Lydia. Whereas Mishek's in a situation where he's taking over an existing church and has taken over an existing church and he's transitioning culture. And there are obviously uh, leadership challenges associated with both of those things. The uh, coronavirus regarding 2020, um, there's been lots of memes going around about, you know, has anyone actually thought about, you know, 2020, you know, unplugging it and plugging it back in and rebooting the year? Because obviously this year is like no other year that probably we've experienced in our lifetimes. Um, and I think when lockdown happened, there was a lot of a lot of conversation on news channels and different things and saying it was like a wartime moment, you know, and Britain have responded, you know, in a way that people would expect the British populace to respond. And there's been unique challenges that we've all faced within within this coronavirus season. Of course, you know, the uh, the George Floyd situation there and the increase conversation regarding racial diversity and racial tensions in our nation and in the nations of the world has compounded things in the mix of people being in isolation as well. So not being able to have community and do community together to, to talk about all these sorts of things. And so we're really forced to do things in a digital way. So we're, we're going to try and cover as much of that as we ground as we can in the next 40 minutes or so. But I, I just wonder, and, and Mishak, we'll start with you. What are you telling your leaders in church in this season during this, you know, over the last three months, what has been the, the consistent faithful message that you have been reminding your leadership team of over the last three months? I, I think for me, the, the, the words 
uh, clarity in crisis. And I think that, that has framed how, as a team, we've just been navigating through this, um, seeking clarity during this time of crisis. And I think the emphasis is around the fact that uh, a crisis is a season. So just making that very clear, it is a season. This is not, this is just not, this is not here permanently. It's, it's creating a new environment, but it's for a season. So we, we need to enter it in with that understanding that says clarity, uh, that clarity in crisis uh, is crucial. And this crisis is for a season. And also number two, making it clear for, for, for our team that this very same crisis uh, is a midwife as well. It's a, literally a midwife to something bigger, something better. And again, we need to go into this with that mindset and with that understanding, uh, because that's how we begin to observe the opportunities that we have. Are, are things difficult and tough? Of course they are, they are. But our perception has to, uh, uh, has to shift in a way that will help us to, to grab hold of the incredible opportunities that, are, that have come through from this. So clarity in crisis has been uh, our mantra through this whole thing. So how can we get this clarity? Um, we're getting it from the word of God. We're getting it through the Holy Spirit. Um, and also we're getting it from a wider conversation uh, to ensure that we remain, uh, remain focused. So that, that has been... Um, that has been our, our phrase during this time, clarity in crisis. That's fantastic, actually, Mishek. I'm loving, I'm loving the whole perspective that I think that sometimes what happens is people in the midst of crisis can feel like this is life now. But actually, this is not life now as in now and forever. It's life just in this season. And the whole concept of being a midwife to birth something new is is really, really fascinating. I think really what it's done is for me, it's highlighted the sense that actually we've needed to do church differently. And this is, this is a, a, a birthing mechanism for us to do evangelism, discipleship, church fellowship, preaching, everything is different in a time of adaptation and innovation. Um, a, a really brilliant insight. Roy, same question for you. What have you been sharing with your leaders kind of faithfully over the last sort of three months? That's a good question, Glenn. Uh, I mean, who could possibly have predicted uh, what would have happened in 2020? None of us. And I remember at the very beginning of this whole crisis back in sort of early March, I sat down with my team and I said to our guys when we were making the move online, I said, guys, the world is watching us. The world is watching us like never before. We are more, you know, the opportunities, of course, are greater than ever before. The challenges are greater than ever before. So that was at the beginning of the crisis. And how, how absolutely relevant uh, those words have become, not only in terms of the crisis, but in, in terms of subsequent events, which I know we're going to talk about as well. The world is watching us, how we are responding, how we are reacting. And so we have been very, very intentional as a team in terms of making sure that the shape of everything that we do, I mean, we've always tried to do this anyway, but even more in the crisis, trying to make sure that, that Sundays are seen as outreach events, um, you know, that the whole shape of services changes, the, the sermon is not quite so long, the worship has got to be a little different, it can't be the same as the expression of worship when we're all together in one place. Um, and so for us, that is what we have been really utilizing uh, Sundays for, seeing some wonderful things happen. We've seen numbers of people uh, become Christians uh, through that. 
um, no, record numbers on alpha. Uh, we've never had so many people join, do an alpha course, uh, all online, of course, on Zoom. Um, and of course, lots of people connecting into life groups. Again, record numbers for us. We've never seen this before. Um, and I think that that sense of, you know, it hits home when you think, you know, my non-Christian neighbors are watching. And that even for a pastor really causes you to reevaluate, hang on a second, what, what are we doing here? And is this necessary? And what needs to go in and what needs to go out? And I think that, okay, so there's the horrors of the crisis. Of course, there are the horrors. But in a lot of ways, this is, in a, in a sense, um, the, the questions that we're asking ourselves in this season are very healthy questions. Um, you know, what do we need to put into the service? What do we not need to put into the service? You talked about this at the, at the conference, Glenn, about the importance of innovation. I thought that that was a tremendous word. And for me, this is a season to innovate. We've tried lots of things. Some things have really worked. Some things haven't quite worked so well, but there's no embarrassment in trying because all you do is just change it the next week. And this is a season where, where I have been going crazy with ideas some of them are brilliant some of them are terrible but it's all under the the heading the world is watching us so for me that has been a big a big headline that we have just sought to just keep in mind and it has i think it's been a game changer actually for us yeah no that's fantastic uh, it, it's it's a good point you make about thinking through church um in terms of our, the online experience through the lens of a neighbor because the reality is this, is that our neighbours have been coming to church ever since the day we've been doing church. And yet sometimes we can get so locked into a mode of doing church. Another question really for both of you is this, is how do you manage the tension of the weirdness factor of, of Holy Spirit Church? Because, you know, let's face it, when you read the Bible, there's a lot of weird things that go on in the Bible. And, and to sanitise scripture or to sanitise a move of the Holy Spirit is almost next to near impossible. And so you, you do have the weirdness factor, and yet there is a sense where we don't want to have sanitized church where there's no uh, power of God, there's no, there's no freedom for, for God to move in people's lives beyond a run sheet that is 12 minutes of worship, three minutes of connect time, four minutes of offering, 18 minutes of preaching, and that sort of thing. How are you navigating this, this tension of weirdness as well as, you know, and, and, and I'll, let me put power in there because power is not always weird, but sometimes it can be with the sense of neighbours are watching. Roy, let me just throw that back to you first. No, it's a, it's a good question, Glenn, especially for those of us who are spirit-filled people. But I, I wonder whether the weirdness factor, though, is is not so much the Holy Spirit. It's, it's just that... Um, you know, we Christians sometimes feel that it has to be weird to be God. Right. Um, and actually, you know, for example, when they spoke in tongues on the day of Pentecost, you know, what amazed the onlookers, what amazed the world was, they heard them speaking in their own languages. That was, that was the amazing bit. That was the part that freaked them out more than anything else. Um, or when miracles or when strange things happens, they were, they were often explained in the Bible, you know, these, 
you know, when, when, when healings happened, you know, Paul would explain, this is not me, this is not uh, any other disciple, this is the power of God at work. So I think that, again, coming under our little banner of the world is watching, it's not that we want to compromise on our uh, Pentecostal convictions, but it's that we want to just make sure that we're not being weird just for the sake of it. And also, when things happen, let's, let's be sure to give a, a, a good little commentary to the world of what's happening. Again, that's what, that's what, that's what the whole point of Peter's message is on the, on the day of Pentecost. They're not drunk as you suppose, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on to give a really long explanation. And for me, that, that, is, that has helped me in my, I mean, I've come a long way and you'll know me, signs and wonders guy. And I've, you know, the, I had a big healing and still believe in, in God's power to heal like never before. But I think that, that, the transition, look, I was, a, I was an evangelist for many years, and then the Lord punished me by making me a pastor. <laughs> and uh, you realize that when you're pastoring a church, you cannot run it like an evangelist would run it. This is no disrespect to evangelists. They're gifts that God has given to the church. Uh, but to, to actually pastor a church is a very different experience. And for me, it has been profoundly challenging. I would say profoundly healthy as well, that you can still have it but just give it a bit more explanation and take people on the journey. And I think when we, when we, when we get that, um, actually my experience is that people who are not Christians are far more open to the supernatural than what we might give them credit for. So for me, that's, that's kind of helpful. Yeah. Love that. Misha, let me just change tack with you. Um, and, and still focusing on the church for a moment. What, what is it? If we can, def if we define church as, you know, the bride of Christ, essentially, and we know that Jesus will come, is coming back for a glorious bride. And then also, if we define church as Acts 2.42, you know, it's a place where people gather together for fellowship, for worship, to come under the sound of the teaching of the word of God. So we're thinking about the local context of church, local church. What are you learning about the church right now during the season that is different to, to maybe the way you viewed the church before? What, 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 what are you proud about? What, what's some new observation that you've made in this unique season? Oh, that's, a, that's a very great question. That's a good question. Um, I, th I think for me, what has really come out from all of this is actually the emphasis of the individual over the community um, and actually doing it in that way round because over, over the many years we have emphasized the community aspect of church at the expense of the individual. And now that we're in this season that we're in where the community element has been taken out, the individual has become lost. Um, and actually for a lot of people, they have struggled because what they banked or what they saw as church was the gathering. And, uh, and yet the, the, the real church is the individual. Uh, who, when, when we, so when we are in this season now, one of the things that has really become awakened to me is that how do I uh, empower the individual? The, the, the community side is already, that, that's, not, that's not an issue. That can be achieved for as long as you have empowered individuals. So this is where my thing is right now. How, if, if, if again, if another wave comes and, and, and the gathering and the community is taken away from the individual, how can I ensure that the individual is still a solid church in their own right. So that's where that's what I'm wrestling with at the moment, um, because you know this is a. I, I don't believe this is just the only time where the community element is going to be taken away from the church. I think there will be other other seasons that are coming. 
but how can we empower the individual? And I know Act 2 talks about how they had everything in common and, and all of that stuff, and they were buying and selling of stuff to ensure everyone is looked after but it really comes back down to the individual. So I think for me, that, that's the, the, the mindset that I'm wrestling with right now in terms of how we now flip it on its head and, and start with the individual before we start with the gathering and the community. Yeah, fantastic insight there actually, Meshek. Uh, and one of the words I, I want to pick up that you were saying a few times there is just one of the things that you're wrestling with. And I, I guess that it would be true to say that every single leader, myself included, we all have moments of um, wavering in faith, uh, not our faith in God in the, in the sense of salvation, but, but a moment of going, oh my gosh, I, I don't know what to do. I, you know, there can be moments or seasons as a leader where it can feel like faith has been sucked out of you because of a, of a confrontation, because of maybe um, a demonic attack, because of a failure to reach, you know, KPIs, goals that maybe you set or disappointment in a ministry. Uh, Mishek, maybe just coming back to you, can, can you tell us what, what do you do in those moments where it just feels like some area of faith, the faith quotient in your life is wavering or it's been rocked? What, what, what's proven to you to, to help you through those seasons and moments? So one of the things that I do, uh, Funny enough, I actually speak to my wife. She has a way of slapping me, you know, slapping some sense into, some sense into me. And that, that just realigns it. Um, but when she sort of says to me, yeah, actually, I think we need to look at this um, and change this around. The next layer for me um, is, is prayer. I, I have to just sit in prayer and in reflection um, and also just check within my heart which, which elements of this thing, of this uh, knockback are pride elements uh, and which elements are actually kingdom elements. So any pride elements need to be crucified um, and then any kingdom elements need to be elevated. And this, you know, this is just a, some, some of the things that I, I have to do and it, it tends to happen uh, probably on a weekly basis actually. Yeah, painful too, isn't it? It's hard work. Roy, can I ask you the same question? You've been on this journey as well a long time. You know, you've had moments, I'm sure, where your faith has wavered. How have you handled those times? How have you navigated it? I mean, for me, Glenn, this, is, this has been like a season of paradoxes because, you know, at the beginning of this whole um, uh, uh, lockdown, I was worried about the church. Would people still connect in? How's the how are the finances going to be? And actually, by and large, church is healthier than ever. Um, actually, God's church is stronger than we think. Um, now, I'm, I, the control freak within me is being profoundly challenged. I want to know when is this going to end? I want to know uh, how we're going to organize uh, our services with social distancing. I want to know how we can build people's confidence back again. I want to know how, you know, can we sing? I mean, if we can't sing, what's the point? You know, I want to know, and, and I want to know everything. And yet, um, there's, I almost sense this word from God uh, that you don't need to know, you know, what is that to mm -hmm. you? And it's almost like a divine slap in the face from the almighty who is, you know, in the middle of all this, is, who is profoundly challenging my tendency towards control freakery. I need to know. 
actually God is saying, no, you don't need to know. Um, so and I, so for, for me, it's been profoundly challenging. I can't say I've always handled it brilliantly. There have been days when I've been exhilarated seeing the possibilities. Other days I have felt demoralized, even as a leader. Uh, I, I thought maybe I was the only one who was feeling like that. But I've talked to so many pastors who have actually, you know, opened up and said, this has been the tough, I mean, this has been the toughest season that many of us have ever known. The pressures are, are tremendous in this season and, and they should not be underestimated. I think, uh, just to make one final point, I think for us guys, I think one of the challenges is that we're not very good at dealing with our emotional cup. So in other words, it fills up with frustrations and with you know all you know frustrations about not being in control and where do we go from here what happens next and then often what happens is that we explode on some poor unsuspecting person who has never done us any harm um, and so for me it's learning how to personally handle those frustrations as well how to articulate those things better so for me in this season it's been the church is brilliant I'm the problem Actually, God's been doing, I feel like he's been doing most of his work in my heart and trying to sort me out and get me into a proper place so that I can actually serve him better in the next season. So that, that's my personal challenge. Yeah, wow, that's, that's brilliant. And listen, in the process of the last three months, have you guys had to make any personal course adjustments? Because I think one of the things that, that, that stands the test of time that you would recognize and resonate with is routine continually doing the right things. And I'm sure you have a routine of, of when you read the Bible, how you study, how you pray, when you do those sorts of things. Of course, lockdown has changed absolutely everything. So what sort of court, personal course adjustments have you made as a leader to best help you through times of wavering faith, strong faith, high emotion, low emotion, cabin fever, non-cabin fever? What, what, what's worked for you, Mishek? Wow, that's, a, that's, a, that's a big question. That's a great question. Uh, I think for me, it starts from my family framework. Um, one of the things I've learned and realized a lot about um, this season or from this season is the difference between, um, uh, you know, being around and being present. And then I think that that has started to really feature in my in my makeup uh, within the home life. Um, and I think that is also now translated into um, the church situation as well, looking at the situations where I'm, I'm around and when I'm actually present. Um, and just really now looking at what that looks like within the context of church, which things do I need to be around for, uh, you know, both spiritually, psychologically, physically, um, and also which things do I need to be present? Uh, where, do mm. I, where do I really need to be in? So things like energy management coming to, come to play. Um, and and so, so for me, I think it's the, the framework of it is actually, I mean, the old adage says, you know, your, your family is your first church. Uh, so I think a lot of my lessons are starting from my family framework and then really being uh, scaled up to the wider, um, wider church side of things. And, and it, it's, it's been painful. It's been a real uh, a painful transition of learning um, and, and looking at how, how, how do I deal with those things within the family context? And then how does that scale up to, to the church context? And so for me personally, that's been how it's sort of been um, modeled up. Um, so being present and also being around. Uh, Misha, that, that is fantastic insight actually. And I think what you've just done in the last 45 seconds is articulate 
what most leaders struggle with through all of their family life and through all of their leadership life. And I think that one of the things that it's really important for us all as leaders to do is, you know, reflecting on those comments you just said is trying to help our church understand as well when we as pastors need to be around and present or present and around because the reality is this is actually is as church grows is less that you can actually be present for because there's only a certain amount of Meshachs in this world. Well, there's just one of you and you can't be in five places at one time. So you can be around, you know, because really the fingerprint of your leadership is all over the life of the church and will continue to be so. I mean, you've only been leading it for two years, but other than certainly the next three years, um, there'll be a greater sense of your fingerprint as a leader there in terms of being around, but actually you don't need to be as present. And I think when we go back to another generation to my dad's generation, um, you know, Roy, your granddad's generation, there was a sense where the pastor had to be present at everything for everything and do everything, you know, open up, set out the hymn books, set up the chairs, vacuum the floor, lead worship, preach, take the offering, go home, die, and then do it again, as well as visit everybody every week. And it's actually an impossibility, isn't it? Right. Um, and so I think that that insight is really, really profound, Meshach. Uh, what about same for you, Roy? Same question. Uh, what sort of course changes have you have you personally had to make? Well, I mean, I've always been an early riser, so mornings are my my key time. I'm not, you know, five. I've I, I've got about five a.m. every morning for the last twenty years. It's just natural now to get up at that time, and that is reading time, prayer time, seeking God time. So that has been like a saving grace for me. Um, uh, personally, to just listen to God, uh, you know, maybe do some reading, uh, listen to what God might be saying to me for the season. Um, then part of me relishes the challenge of the season because uh, being a pioneer, um, you know, you, essentially you've had to rebuild. All of us have had to rebuild in this season. So I have loved the challenge of rebuilding. It's, it's, I love it. Uh, rebuilding online teams, uh, uh, well, not even rebuilding, building uh, online culture. We did a little bit of online church before, but nothing to the extent of, of what we're doing it now. Uh, so we wanted to have grid culture on there, building teams, doing lots of teaching, uh, lots of Zoom meetings, getting lots of individual teams to take care of different aspects of services. Um, so now I'm, I'm, I've kind of, so I've spent um, eight, nine weeks building. Now I'm in a weird uh, phase again where I'm chomping at the bit to get going again uh, and thinking about how we're going to rebuild a church and physically gathering a church as well. Um, so for me, you know, it's, the season has not lacked purpose. Um, I think, again, as I said before, the main thing that has been happening with me is, is that I think that God has been working in my own heart, personally challenging me and just, you know, help preparing me for this next season. I believe that this next season is going to be incredibly uh, significant. Um, but it, we're, you know, this is uncharted territory. And so in, in one sense, the only thing that we really can do is lean into God's grace in this season. And uh, trust, as you would say, Glenn, that the man has a plan and he knows what he's doing. Yeah. Which sometimes is easier said than done, isn't it, in, in that sense? But uh, I think the tensions that you guys are, are articulating tonight are, are fantastic. And, and the majority of, of leaders, pastors, individuals out there will really kind of resonate so much, I think, with, with what we're saying. So I really appreciate your, your openness to talk and, and share your insights. 
let's um let's uh, change conversation slightly and and jump into the conversation you know post George Floyd, and of course you know the world was horrified when you know the media footage the, the social media footage came out of that instant incident that took place, and and the general sense of shock um, and negative awe of that moment, the the inhumanity. Uh, of how one person can treat another person in such a way, you know, I think really sort of struck a chord in people's hearts. For me, when I saw the images and it first came out, which I think was on a Monday or maybe a Tuesday morning here in the UK, um, you know, I, I was taken straight away back to that image of that that little Syrian two-year-old boy, was it, who was, you know, um, who was lying dead on, on a beach. And there are moments like that, I think, that that shape you. I, I think that there are moments that you look back on and, and you're able to equate and go, gosh, here's, here's another moment in time. It's an opportunity in time for, um, for justice, for the right thing to begin to happen. And for certainly us as a church and the church to respond in a way that champions righteousness and justice, because truly that is the cause of the gospel. Um, Mishek, let's just jump over to you for a moment. And what are some of your initial thoughts on the subject of racism? And I know it's very difficult to condense initial thoughts into like a, a 60 second or a, a one and a half minute, two minute synopsis, but just, just give us some initial thoughts, you know, as an opening salvo into this conversation for us. Um, over the years, um, you know, I, I've spent time just <clears throat> reflecting on this whole issue because obviously I've been, on the receiving end of it and, and all of that stuff and you you see it um and and i remember just spending time a while ago and i just really pressing in um on this issue and and, and the phrase came out of it um that i maybe might might be helpful to share uh, that i just got in my spirit a while ago and the, and, and the phrase was around this racism is a hatred of self projected on another wow that that really just absolutely encapsulated an understanding for me that would shape my response to racism. You know, it just completely just revolutionized it because uh, just, uh, just understanding that racism is a hatred of self being projected on another automatically begins to shape how we collectively respond in the face of racism, whether you're black or white or Asian, that that framework for me just helps me to just helps to guide me on how I um, how I respond. Brilliant. So it's actually more a reflection of what's going on in the heart of the individual who's who's projecting that. That's excellent. Roy, what what about for yourself? Just some initial observations on it. Well, I mean, what can you say? Evil. Uh, what happened to George Floyd, and of course the the challenge is that that is but one of numerous incidents like that. Um, it's just that that one was caught on camera. We're we're shocked, but those incidents have been going on for many many years. Um, so uh, I'm heartened by the fact that that we are speaking out, that we are raising our voice. Uh, I think that's a good thing. That we need to stand with our black brothers and sisters in solidarity. I think that for me, uh, the challenge is that we want to avoid um, just tokenism. Um, so the church that I pastor that we've pioneered uh, is uh, 
50% white community, 50% black community. Uh, and there's a beautiful harmony in our church. And we have actually, from the very beginning, sought to really champion young black leaders. So a lot of our team are made up of young black leaders. Um, so we, you know, we thought we were doing really good, but you realize, uh, and I think that the George Floyd incident has highlighted that actually we've got so much more to do, um, that the George Floyd incident is a systemic problem. And we fool ourselves if we deny that. It is totally uh, something that has been going on for a long time. And the thing with God, I mean, I was talking to my own church about this. We took a whole Sunday just to talk about it. And, you know, the thing with God is that he hates injustice. He really, mm. we talk about God as being loving, but by, by, by very definition, if you love, then there are some things you're going to hate. You know, if, if someone, you, you know, um, attacks something that you love, then you're going to hate what that person does. And this is how God views injustice. He hates it. Um, it is an offense to him. And so as, as God's people, uh, even here in the UK, I think this has been a time of soul searching, especially for white uh, Christians and white leaders, soul searching, searching our hearts and saying, okay, so it's one thing to stand up and make a, st a stand. That's good. But we've got to take it further now. And we've got to go the extra mile to champion uh, young, especially young black leaders, um, so that they can become everything that God has called them to be. Um, so for me, this has been, I, I think that this, th this feels different to me than anything that I, I have ever seen before. This feels like a game-changing moment. And, uh, and I believe that God is in it, strangely enough. I, I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to his church, if anyone will have an ear to hear. These are profoundly challenging moments uh, for us. I was thinking, and forgive me if I'm going on a little too long here, Glenn, you can stop me, but I was thinking about, you know, the, we are a part of the Assemblies of God, right? I call myself a Pentecostal, not merely for theological reasons, though my theology is there, but for reasons of history and reasons of heritage. The reason why we are in the Assemblies of God is because of how God used a man called William J. Seymour back mm. in the early 1900s, who was the victim of race, racism. He was thrown out of so many white churches, they wouldn't accept him. This was in racially segregated America. This was pre-Rosa Parks. So in segregated America in the early 1900s, who was it who God used to usher in the modern day work of the Holy Spirit? Historians all agree it was William J. Seymour, an African-American pastor. And so the movement of which we are a part is birthed in, in, in not white culture, actually, but in black culture. And so we would do well to know history and to see, you know, how the Holy Spirit has worked, and then to honor that uh, in this day and in our generation as well. So for me, these are these are profoundly challenging but important moments. Yeah, that's that's fantastic insight there. Assemblies of God, what is it? Three hundred eighty thousand churches plus one being planted every two to three days. And actually, right now, majority of the, of the growth taking place within the Assemblies of God that we belong to globally is taking place in sub-Saharan Africa and also in South America as well. And, you know, obviously this, this whole conversation right now on race is very, very interesting. It's been 
certainly for me in depth for the last three weeks, countless Zoom conversations, lots of reading, lots of viewing clips online, etc. It's there's definitely an education process that we're all in. One of the things that I found really amazing, actually insightful, I, I think it was Tim Keller who said this, that the Bible talks about, you know, in heaven, there will be every tribe and every nation. And so there's almost a sense where, where you know, we won't just be as we are now, but actually in eternity, there, there's a the gathering of, of all, all backgrounds, of, of all ethnic backgrounds, um, which I think is a fantastic concept. But this, this period of education is being amazing. Mishek, I wonder for you, what, what are some new things that you've been learning in the light, light of the latest conversation on race, both good and bad? What, what, what's been helpful? What have you thought, mm, that's a light bulb moment. Okay, I'm, I'm understanding something a little bit more about racism, racism as, as it's presented and how I as a leader can, can, can best break down the dividing walls. Mm, yeah, that, that's, that's, a, that's a great question again. Um, I think as a, as a, and I don't like to use this phrase quite a lot, but as a black Christian leader, um, the, one of the things that has become very apparent is how it could, um, you can easily uh, be, you can easily be presumptuous when it comes to how other people are aware of your reality. Um, because you, you know, it's all real to you and you, you can be presumptuous in, in assuming that everyone else is, is, is aware. So I think one of the things that actually caught me off guard was the sincerity of uh, the, 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 the way that a lot of white people were unaware of the reality that was happening within um, a lot of black people's lives. Uh, to be honest, at some point I thought, surely after, after this long, there's no way you can tell me you didn't know that this was happening. You know, until you look into the, in, someone, in someone's eyes and you start to see the sincerity there, you realize, oh, hang on a minute. Uh, you know, I, I actually thought that because this, this was so real to me, it was so natural and normal, it was exactly the same for everybody else. They could see it, but just didn't care. Um, and I think that was a completely shift, uh, shifting of mindset for me when I started to notice that, uh, you know, something has happened. Eyes have become really awakened and opened to to the reality that has been longstanding for many, many years for a lot of uh, BAME uh, individuals in, in, in this nation. And that's so for me, out of all of this, this has been one of the biggest highlights um, um, for me. Um, and then obviously from on, on, on the other side of it, from a leadership uh, perspective and some of the conversations that I've been personally engaging with, uh, particularly with with a lot of white Christian leaders, is just asking one question. You know, tell just take a look at the last year, who has been on your uh, guest speakers panel? Just mm -hmm. take a look at just one year. Just tell me how many people from the BAME community have been on your guest speakers panel, and that will tell you straight away what it is you might need to to revisit and consider. Uh, not again, like Roy said earlier on, it's not about tokenism, but again, just really looking at it, it's about intentionality as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. Let, let's be very intentional because I don't want to lose, I don't want this to just be another moment in time where we say, oh, do you remember what happened in 2020? But I actually want this to be a birthing point. Something has to be birthed out of this. I think that the perfect storm of the lockdown, the, the, the pandemic and all of these issues happening must give birth to something that is a lasting for generations to come. In my mind, I have my children's generation in, the mind, in, in, in mind right now. And this is part of the reason why I'm very determined to ensure 
that their reality will be so different to what um, to what I have had to go through and to what my parents' generation had to to go through. So these are just some of the things that I've I've, I've been um, I've been looking at as well. Yeah, that's really great insight there, Mishek. Same question for you, Roy, in, in terms of what have you learned uh, through the conversations of late? It's a, it's a really good question, Glenn. Um, and for us, what we have done at the Junction Church is that um, we have done a lot of listening. We've actually let our young black leaders lead the conversation. So if you go to the front page of our website, uh, junctionchurch.net, um, you'll see a whole conversation going on there where brilliant young black professionals are talking about their experiences of racism, of things. And, and what has amazed me recently is the, are the amount of people who've said to me, they say, Pastor Roy, I have never talked uh, about these issues before. I, I, I have never, but, but somehow the, the George Floyd video has provoked us to actually facing some stuff yeah. and so for me again not only have we had those public conversations which I think are very very important and let our black leaders lead those conversations for me that's important but then behind the scenes we've had lots of lots and lots of zoom meetings uh, with people just listening I had the honor of sitting in with I think it was 10 actually it was more than that about 15 young uh, uh, black professionals and I just sat in on the conversation. I hardly said a thing. And they just talked about um, their experiences. These are brilliant, brilliant people. And I, for me, it was still shocking just to hear uh, their experiences of life. That, that's what makes it all the more, I guess, hurtful. Because I know these people. I'm, I am their dad in the faith. They're sons of the house, daughters of the house. And so for me, this has been, I think, particularly... Just, you know, the, the, just when you thought we were kind of okay, you realize, I know nothing. I know nothing. I, I don't, I, I would be arrogant to presume. I mean, when I came from, and this is, this, there's no comparison between my experience and what generations of, uh, of uh, black people have experienced. But I remember uh, coming from Ireland to England in the 1990s with an, an Irish accent was not helpful at that time. And I remember being very <laughs> self-conscious you know, because of the troubles and so on. And I remember feeling very self-conscious about that uh, back in the day. And I think that that experience in a very small, small measure Again, it's not comparable to what so many people have been through, but for me, it gave me a, a, an inkling of understanding of, of what so many people have been through. And so for me, I, I have done a lot of crying of late, frankly, and I'm not an emotional person, but you know, I, when I've listened to the stories, I, I've just been humbled. And at times there's been a whole mix of emotions going on personally. Uh, feeling ashamed, frankly, um, and and then I want to do something about this. The fighter in me wants to do something about this. So th this this has been profoundly challenging, and um, and this conversation will continue. Change is it's not that change is coming. Change is happening now, and for God's people, you know, everywhere we we really ought to get with it. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for your insight, there, Roy. It's definitely a, a, a now moment. There's definitely a moment that, you know, uh, we, as a, as a church in this nation, need to jump on the back of, we as individuals need to take responsibility and, 
But I also think, you know, the being here in two months time, six months time, five years time, 10 years time, proactively ensuring that this, you know, issue is dealt with in, in a way that is not just, you know, um, sweeping it under the rug, but actually continually dealing with the process. Because I think for me, ultimately, this, you know, any, any issue regarding racism is fruit of a root. And the root is the brokenness of humanity that we need Jesus. That, you know, I, I just wrote an email this week to uh, a group of leaders. And part of it, I said, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm Pentecostal, I'm spirit empowered, I believe in spiritual gifts, but the fruit of the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, that, 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 you know, within so much of the narrative of scripture, it just gives no space for, for racism to exist in, in our world. I, I, I think guys, um, Misha, coming back to you, navigating your church through this season, um, I'm sure, you know, firstly, it, it's tough because <clears throat> we have to do it remotely. And so, you know, we're not able to, to physically be with our people to actually put our hands on their shoulders, to put our arms around them, to, to either cry with them or to admonish, to, to rebuke, to encourage it. You know, to do it digitally is very, very difficult. And one of the things I'm, I'm super aware of as well is that the young generation, the social media has become the tool for communication. And of course, we know that trying to find truth and fact in the social media world is very difficult. We all have churches that are, that are multicultural. We have churches um, with many different uh, nationalities gathered. In Audacious Church currently, there's 86 different nationalities. And of course, there are so many different languages so many different worldviews, um, you know, everything we've ever experienced means we create a worldview and we see the world through that worldview. So if we have experienced trauma as a result of, uh, let's say, racism, if we've experienced trauma as a result of, of any events that have taken place in our life, then that can shape our worldview through which we see everything. And ultimately, trying to get Jesus behind the worldview into the heart to heal our hearts myself included is is so key and our role as pastors is continually asking people to reevaluate their lives absolutely but actually saying to people people let jesus the healer of hearts come in and, and bring life change i pray that you prosper even as your soul prospers that that kind of thing Meshach, the challenge of leading a multi cultural church in Southampton through a season like this is huge. Could you give us two or three things that you've said, you know what, guys, here are three things that I think are, are really good steps to help church navigate a season like George Floyd and, and the racism conversation. What are two or three things that you would encourage us with? Yeah, wow, another huge question. Um, so for me, I think it's it's been um, it's actually been birthed around the Matthew twenty two conversation, um, where where you have the Pharisees come up to Jesus trying to trap him because he, they knew he had silenced the Sadducees there, um, and then they ask him, "Oh, you know, so what, which one is the greatest commandment?" I think the response of Jesus captures the perfect response, in my opinion how in terms of how the church can come um, and, and really navigate through this season. Jesus says, number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. 
um, and, and maybe to, to understand how we can love God. I, I would suggest we just copy what he did. That's like John 3.16 stuff. He gave his only son to us. So there's something about love and giving. So if Jesus is saying, love the Lord, love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, then I would suggest we need to give all our hearts, all our souls and all our minds to him. And when we do that, it, it just begins to shape us into into the next two levels because it then goes on i think that's around verse 39 where he then says look uh, the second is exactly like it love your neighbor as yourself um and i think if we read that too quickly we miss the the, the instruction there what he's simply saying is after you've loved the lord with all your heart with all your soul and with all your mind the transformation that happens within that process will filter into how you love yourself and then that process of loving yourself will then filter into how you love other people. So in other words, how you navigate through one and two directly affects how we deal with this loving your neighbor situation. So, so I think for me, the, the, the whole conversation comes down to the loving God part. Are we, have we truly, as believers, before we even talk about leaders, but as believers, have we truly loved him by giving our hearts, our souls, and our minds to him to transform that so that we can love this new being that we become? And how we enjoy love in that framework will now ultimately filter down to how we love our neighbor. And, and this is, so for me, for the church, this is some of the things that we've been talking about to say, look, it's, I don't believe there's anyone who can truly love God and hate a brother. I mean, now we're going to the one John four narrative that says, how can you say you love, uh, how you love God and yet you hate a brother and a sister that you can physically see, you know, you, there's no way that is impossible. So that's where I am personally just navigating the church through um, because I, I, I can't control what anybody else does, but at least if I can give them the framework to, 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 to self-check themselves, I think that would be the best way that I find very helpful for them. And some of the feedback that has been coming as we have engaged in that conversation that, asked, that, that interrogates the individual to ask, have I truly given my heart, my soul, and my mind to the Lord? Uh, if, if the answer is yes, then how is that being translated into how I love myself? Coming back to what I said in the beginning of this, this racism issue, that says racism is the hate of self being projected onto another. Um, you, you, can't, you, can't have, you can't have racism issues and claim to love God. That just can't work. And that doesn't matter whether you're black or white or Asian. So those three, so the three things for me are love God completely, love yourself, and then you will know how to love your neighbor. Excellent. Wow, that, that, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Roy, coming to you, same question for you. How are you helping to navigate the church through this season? I thought that was an excellent answer, Meshach, uh, uh, you know, gracious and uh, as ever. Um, I think in our church, it is um, a time for those of us who are uh, white leaders, it's a time for us to really, I think, um, uh, humble our hearts. The, the rage, and I would say that, that word deliberately, the rage of um, our black brothers and sisters, uh, even of God's people, you know, it's, it's like, it's the cry, will you listen to us? Will you just listen to us? And I think that that is where that rage, and certainly listening to a lot of the young guys in uh, my own church, 
that's that is that is the cry that i am hearing will you listen to us you are not listening so for me i think that wise um uh, leaders would be what would be, would want to listen listen to the experiences open some dialogue we've certainly been doing that in the junction church and we're going to keep that uh going for quite some time to come uh, listen to the experiences listen to what people have been through and then and then we need to for me that the next challenge is how can i challenge how can i champion uh, a, a generation of young black leaders to do even more than what I have ever done. And for those of us who are white leaders, we've got to go the extra mile, I think, uh, when it comes to that. So uh, I'm not sure if I can add, I think what Meshach has said is brilliant. I'm, I'm not sure if I can add anything to that. But for me, it's keeping the conversation going. Um, it's doing something about it. It is, it is, it is recognizing as you have rightly said, Glenn, the, the, the unity of God's kingdom, every tribe, every tongue, every nation represented there. That, that is, that, again, if you look back into history, uh, one of the unique things about William Seymour's meetings was the fact that they were interracial. We usually have uh, been finishing off our interviews with, with somebody praying. Tonight, maybe we're going to do something different. And um, Roy, I'm going to ask you if you can go back to your piano. And I want you to choose a, a, a worship song, even if it's old school, that everyone will be familiar with, okay? And I want, I want you to play us out for the next one minute, if you can do that. What's your favorite and, worship uh, song, Glenn? Listen, mate, you know, what, one of my favorites of old is Here I Am, Wholly Available. As oh, for me, uh, that's you know, Chris Bullwater, isn't it? Okay. Yeah, you got that. You want to do that, you um, want to do that now? Do that or do a hymn. Um, so if you just unplug and go that way. And while you're getting, while you're getting ready there, Mishek, before we go to the piano with Roy, just uh, if you could self-isolate with three people on the planet, Mishek, okay? Three people on the planet. Um, listen, they past, present, or future, so they could be dead. You can't choose Jesus, right? That's way too obvious. Who would you want to be self-isolating with for the next, say, 100 days of your life? Who would that be? Three people. <laughs> Listen, Glenn, this is a setup, all right? So yeah. first of all, because I know my wife is going to watch this. So yeah, babe, you'll definitely be there. So my wife will need to be in that one. Now for the other two, oh, that's, that's a tough one. Well, Mishek, let me make this more difficult, okay? You've already been safe self-isolating with your wife, all right? I've just had a text from her. She said, please tell Mishek to not self-isolate with me. I need space. Look, look, it's just there. <laughs> Uh, three, three people, non-family members and not Jesus. Who would they be? Oh, <laughs> oh you are cruel. Absolutely cruel. Oh, all right. Let's go. Um, I think there's something about Nelson Mandela. Um, I think Nelson Mandela would be interesting to just hear um, just his, his, yeah, just to hear some of his stories and some of his journeys. Um, and then I think there is something about um, William Wilberforce, actually, that would just be interesting to get that conversation going with Nelson Mandela and just being set in the room. Um, and then, yeah, and then this other guy called Glenn Barrett, that would be interesting to throw him into that mixture as well and see how that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Listen, in a room with those two leaders, I would be saying nothing. I'd have my journal out, I'd be taking a million notes. But Meshach, listen, please give our, our love to your wife and to your baby there. And 
you know, to your whole church family. Um, tell them, you know, you're in our thoughts and prayers. I want to thank you so much for everything you're doing in being the hands and feet of Jesus in this generation. It's, it's so brilliant. Thank you so much. Um, we you, love you. Thank you very much. Thanks, man. Really appreciate that. Thanks. Thanks. And Roy, also want to thank you, my friend, for coming on. Thanks for being with us and uh, really do appreciate you. Can you. If you can hear us, Roy, then just shout a goodbye back to everybody and then play us out, buddy. Thank you, Glenn. It's been great to be with you. I hope you can hear this and I hope my playing's not too bad. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this audacious podcast. 